kids'll buzz. Kids will blow dandelion fuzz, and I'll be doing whatever snow does in summer. A drink in my hand, my snow up against the burning sand, probably getting gorgeously tanned in summer. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I is your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Hot off the heels of the Get to Know the Voices of Nine Cents, Aaron Casavaugh episode. Aaron, of course, the host of Down to the Crossroads. That was a motherfucker. <laughs> I gotta say, man, that thing was hard as fuck to get started. We finally did get it started, and it was just, uh, I don't know. You know, whenever you're... <laughs> I don't know about anyone else. Whenever I am uh, contributing to a project, we'll say, there is a significant amount of energy involved in producing said project. And I feel dramatically drained from, if it's something that I put, you know, obviously effort into, I feel drained afterward. And I certainly feel drained after that episode. If you did not get an opportunity to tune in to the Get to Know the Voices of Nine Cents episodes, they were live episode podcasts where we sort of asked Q&A about one specific contributor to Nine Cents, uh, culminating with tonight's episode with Aaron. Uh, It was was a good series. I don't know that we'll ever do it again. (laughs) It was a pain in the fucking ass, to be honest. I spent the majority of this weekend editing and I had to learn After Effects so that I could create an intro and I had to uh, bone up on Premiere. Um, I I subscribed to Adobe CC Creative Cloud, which essentially gives you access to every Adobe program there is, which, you know, for someone in my industry is uh, no duh, like you should do it no matter what. Uh, But, you know, producing this podcast has sort of branched me out into trying new uh, new software, certainly uh, new design techniques. And so trying to be creative and produce the podcast to make it interesting can be challenging and certainly is challenging in this case uh, with these videos, trying to you know do something other than just like a still image or something. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I've been rendering one image, or I'm sorry, one video all damn weekend, and then I noticed that there was one thing I forgot, and that was a watermark, and so I had to go back, and I haven't finished re-rendering it as of yet, you know, recording this, and so probably not going to be out for a little while. Not to mention, this next week, I have so much fucking going on. So obviously my regular profession is crazy busy, uh... And then outside of that, I'm uh, having a contractor come in and um, sort of redo one of our bathrooms or remodel it. So that's going to be fun. And then on top of that, I have the um, sort of online brand strategy presentation that I'm giving to uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, in the 
Magna Chamber of Commerce, thanks to Storm from Art on You Studios. So I've got a, a speech, I've got a remodel, I've got to produce a stinking podcast, and then, of course, find somewhere to fit in my traditional job and my family. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of busy, and I'm sure you're going to hear my family behind me because... I just can't keep them quiet for that long. <laughs> They've been quiet for an interview and for a freaking podcast. And now for another podcast, I just don't think it's going to happen. Sorry about that. Uh, let's talk about the show. So in the Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about a satanic statement. That's right. I'm going to go back to basics here, people. Satanic statement. Number two. In the Infernal Informant, we actually are skipping for an Agent Provocateur. Looking forward to that. An amazing episode, as always, from Darren Deicide. And in the Creature Feature, I speak with Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter and Reverend Daniel Bird about their The Complete Witch Illustrated Bibliography Project. And we... <laughs> it's a long interview. <laughs> Full of goodness. So I hope you tune in and I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be good stuff. You should definitely check that out online. Uh, URL and everything is in the interview. And that's at the tail end. So, uh, on top of that, and on top of everything that I've already mentioned, crazy enough, uh, I'm still a home brewer and I'm still a winemaker. And today we were going to try to bottle um, our... We have a, a white Zinfandel that we had just made, which is ready for bottling. And we're about to start a Malbec, an Australian Malbec, which I'm really crazy excited about. Um, but I have like this backup of beer that I just don't even want to drink. I've, I've been transitioning more and more into wine as I have been making it myself. I've just, I don't know, I... I enjoy it more, I enjoy the flavors more, and it's weird for me, you know, a, a dude who started with liquor, transitioned to beer and home brewing, and now winemaking and wine. Uh, I don't know, I just, I've lost my passion for beer, and I've sort of connected with wine a little bit more lately. So, you know, it could be a passing fancy, whatever, but I really do dig it. Hey, let me say really quick before I dive into the show proper here, those of you who have given me feedback, uh, negative and positive, I, I genuinely appreciate it. Like, really, constructive criticism to me is essential as a developing individual. So I, I really like it when you guys say, I didn't like this segment or I did like this segment, uh, and then give me a reason why, not just, you know, carte, carte blanche, I didn't like it. Blah. Well, give me a damn reason. Tell me why you didn't like it. What about it didn't you like? And and that's what I love. And, and you guys have been doing that lately, so thank you very much. Uh, I, I sort of wax and wane with Nine Cents, and uh, I appreciate you guys going for the ride with me. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm still going to be doing it and pushing it out as much as possible and trying to produce a product that's worth your valuable time. So, you know, it, it, the only way I know whether it's worth your time is if you let me know. So, for those of you who do, thank you. And, uh, I mean, I guess with that said, let's just dive on into the show, eh? Alright, Devil's Advocate, next! In nomine de nostris, Thomas Luciferi Excelsior. In the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth. The king, though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. A very simple sentence, very straight, direct, to the point. Could there be any more behind it? 
I mean, the statement itself is apparent, but it delves deeper into to things. So what are these spiritual pipe dreams it's addressing? Uh, I, it can be seen in virtually every Eastern religion and even uh, some of the Western religions where it's, there is this other side of nature, this emotional, spiritual connection to things that we as Satanists don't recognize, we do not jive with. And it is the hope of these spiritual connections that these religions, like Christian, Islam, uh, Jewish, focus on. See, as they see it, this life is so horrible and is so terrible and is so hard that the only way that you can make sense of it rather than taking responsibility for your own life, is to say that there is this invisible being beyond us, and that if we just behave in certain ways, and if we just say things in certain ways, and if we just celebrate in certain ways, then we will be elevated to this place once we leave this earth. <laughs> and us Satanists say, bullshit. <laughs> we want the vital existence. Look, we cannot disprove that there is something after we die. There's no way of saying that. But because you hope that there is, is there a reason to shun what you're going through right now? And as Satanists, we say, no, absolutely not. We should champion experience. We should strive to enjoy what, what we're doing while we're here. But more important... And this is, you know, that sort of separator that I've briefly uh, touched on already. It's the sense of control that those who follow those right-hand religions refuse to have over their own actions, refuse to have over their own lives. And us Satanists, we say we want that control. Now, with it, admittedly, comes a bit of a realistic looking at yourself. I mean, you had to say, okay, I, I fucked up. I, I have to own that, whatever that is, whenever that happens. And it will happen, and it does happen. You have to learn from your mistakes. More importantly, you have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to live on the edge and push your boundaries. Because if you do not ever push those boundaries, how do you really know what those boundaries are? And this goes for your professional career, for your relationships, uh, for, for those loves that you have in life, the passion that drives you, your, your individual hobbies. Whatever it is, you need to be able to push the boundaries. And only then are you truly, truly experiencing the life that you're leading. Being able to take responsibility, again, I, I harp on this a lot in this podcast, uh, week after week. It is really hard because you have to admit that sometimes you do stupid things as an individual. Sometimes you make really bad decisions as an individual. But does that mean that you're less of a human being? That you're less of a Satanist? I say no. If you're willing to accept responsibility for it, then it's an incredible opportunity to learn. 
It's a, it's a chance for you to realize your boundaries and to learn and not repeat those same mistakes, those same errors of judgment. I have to say, for me, uh, vital existence uh, for me is recognizing and, and, you know, sort of isolating it, condensing it down to one certain expression, if I can for a moment, uh, by way of explanation, drinking for me. I I am very careful about what, how much I intake because I know that, you know, my, my, my father... My birth father, he was an alcoholic, and it ended up killing him. Um, I have a history, uh, ancestral history of alcoholics, uh, of generally just addicts. And so I want to be able to indulge in those things that I enjoy. But because I have the knowledge of my ancestry, of my family, I know that I am more susceptible than some to overindulgence. And that awareness allows me mastery of my life. You know, I actually have nephews uh, who don't really take responsibility for their actions. And they just say, well, this is just who I am. And this is how how I genetically am built, so I'm just going to continue doing it. And that there's a, we- a significant weakness in that, in that way of thinking, that, that sort of absolutist, well, I can't help it, it's in my genes, so why don't I just give in to it? Bullshit. We have a responsibility as Satanists to recognize our limits, to set them, but to not allow them dominion over our lives. So I homebrew. I make wine, and I enjoy them. But I set limits, saying I will have three beers tonight. I won't get drunk, but I'll get a buzz, and I'll enjoy the fruits of my labor. And I'll enjoy the people I'm with while I'm drinking with them. And because I'm not sloppy, I actually get to enjoy the moment that much more. I get to have a a conscious a conscious effect on the moment. Control. And there is literally nothing more satanic than that. Awareness and control. That's what it's speaking to, this, this second satanic statement. I mean, it's easy to say, well, you know, it's it, this is God's plan, and so I'm, I'm not going to do this, or I am going to do this, and I'm going to miss out on this, or, or I'm not going to even try to experience this. That's that's the easy way out. And I know they try to build it up like, ooh, it's hard not to, be, not to do this and not to join in with everyone else. Well, you're not really joining in with everyone else. You, you're just overindulging if you end up just l- losing control and, and sort of falling head first. But what you're doing instead is even worse, and that's denying experience. You're you're literally saying, okay, there's this thing that I know for a fucking fact by relatable experience could be fun, but I cannot do it because of this spiritual pipe dream. It doesn't make sense to people like us. It's so far from the way that we see the world, you cannot even rationalize it. So, 
You know what? Sometimes we have to look a little bit deeper in these uh, satanic statements. Sometimes we have to dig and really examine what they're saying because on the surface, okay, don't you know? Don't believe in spiritual pipe dreams and and celebrate life. Well, that's one thing, but everything is connected in Satanism. Uh, these these ideas, the the no- notions that are that are truly satanic responsibility to the responsible. They're all connected. And if we can recognize that, and more importantly, if we can connect that with our own behaviors and our own lives, you can truly have mastery over it. It just takes a little bit of conscious effort and a little bit of control. And that is what Satanism is about. So, hope you enjoyed this segment. Uh, Let's go ahead and dive into a little agent provocateur. I am not a liberal nor a conservative. I am not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be? Actually, no way. No, 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 just kidding. Stick around for at least a second as we go through this edition of Agent Provocateur. I am your lovely and charming host, Darren Deicide, and I miss... George W. Bush Jr. There. I said it. I really do. If I voted, I would have voted for him. I know I'm in the minority on this. Recently, CNN conducted a poll where they surveyed Americans on their opinion of ex-presidents. Bush Jr. took the booty prize with only a 43% approval rating, lower than any living ex-president. So I realize many of you may have your heads spinning in their place like a confused, demonically possessed Linda Blair when I say this, but I miss George Bush Jr. Hear me out, folks. By the end of this, I may make you miss Georgie Porgy too. As I was reading accounts of Russia's covert takeover of the Crimean Peninsula, that's you crying for you Americans, I saw parallels to other moments in American history in which the United States sought to covertly expand its imperial interests over weaker, smaller nations. The comparisons that easily leapt to mind were the United States' relationships to Latin America, South America, and the Caribbean during the Cold War, and particularly during the Reagan years. The Contras in Nicaragua, the Bay of Pigs invasion, the Salvadoran Civil War, the Aristide coup in Haiti, Memories. Thank you, Russia, for bringing back those misty, watercolored memories of the way we were. Proxy wars and covert action were the order of the day. Most Americans were completely unaware of the death squads and massacres their tax money were funding, and instead fixated on Martha Quinn and the latest synthesized new wave music. This head-up-the-ass point of view on the world ebbed and flowed, culminating in the ultimate head-up-the-ass reaction to 9-11, Why do they hate us? 
Bill Clinton, with his vague pontifications and variety show sax playing, continued the Reagan tradition with a hipper facade, but then something changed. I think we can sum that change up in two words. Bush Jr. George Bush Jr. Where do we start? He was the fortunate son who largely inherited his position. A C student partied his butt off for years in what he called his, quote, nomadic period of irresponsible youth. It's on record. Georgie started his road to Village Idiot in 1966 when he was arrested for disorderly conduct after getting drunk and pulling a prank where he stole a Christmas wreath from a hotel. He was still getting his feet wet with substance abuse, so you know, we'll let that slide as an amateurish move. He got more serious later on, though. In 1976, Bush was arrested for driving under the influence after being pulled over while partying at his parents' summer home in Kennebunkport. Then there was the allegation of his expunged arrest for cocaine possession, supposedly unveiled by biographer James Hatfield in the controversial book The Fortunate Son. Bush Jr. dodged journalistic inquiries on the matter, neither denying or confirming the accusations. He pled the fifth. See? He respects Miranda rights, already showing indications that he was more constitutional than Obama. He weaseled his way into the Ivy League through connections, and some argue weaseled his way into the presidency through the same means. Oligarchy has its privileges, and Bush Jr. was the prodigal son of an economy in which ownership was inherited as much as earned. Suddenly he had a religious conversion, a common conceptual U-turn for many dysfunctional substance abusers. He claims this happened in 1985, and that he decided to give up the boozer's life. Funny how the voice in someone's head that tells substance abusers to do stupid things often turns out to be the voice of God, huh? Well, he kept talking to that voice. In June 2003, in a meeting with then-Palestinian Foreign Ministers Mahmoud Abbas and Nabil Sha'ath, Bush Jr. said, I'm going to do my best imitation here, I'm driven with a mission from God. God would tell me, George, go and fight those terrorists in Afghanistan. And I did. And then God would tell me, George, go and end tyranny in Iraq. And I did. Actually, he would say Iraq, not Iraq. All right, all right. You can see why I didn't pursue a comedy career doing imitations. But point is... These aren't the only times he has been quoted as claiming to have direct lines of communication with God. Bob Woodward's 2004 book, Plan of Attack, details more of Bush's religious habits as president. Talking to God, asking for, for guidance from him, and asking him to protect our troops. And it was through this strangeness that George Bush Jr. polarized the American population. Gallup poll showed a fairly consistent disapproval rating during his presidency. It is a wonder that he was re-elected, but I suppose if you put anyone against a walking corpse like John Kerry, they're bound to win. And that, right there, my friend, strikes to the heart of what my gripe is. Many of President Obama's staunch critics fixate on superficial reasons to hate him. In the process, they sort of expose their own prejudices. A good example is the birther movement. Already proven as more or less a conspiracy theory, the entire criticism was predicated on a procedural error of bookkeeping 
that somehow Obama was actually born in Kenya rather than the United States, and that there was no valid proof of him being an American. This is the best these critics can do. You know, smart people who criticize politicians actually look at policy instead of knee-jerking when they see a brown person whose last name rhymes with Osama. Toss aside all the superficialities already, would you people? There are many reasons to criticize this administration. The main aspect of which is the fact that this administration has shown a complete disregard for the 5th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution, which call for due process, and the 4th Amendment, which calls for the protection of privacy. The examples are numerous, so many that I couldn't possibly list them all here. Jonathan Turley, legal scholar and professor of law at the George Washington University Law School, described this selective suspension of habeas corpus as a, quote, constitutional tipping point in the consolidation of executive power. This is much different than our old friend George Bush, who, despite his brash ignorance, didn't have the wherewithal to explain why the Constitution ought to be suspended, perhaps therefore he generally did it. There is this general misconception that Barack Obama was a major sea change within policy, but look at the record. The war in Afghanistan has more or less escalated under Obama. Tensions between Israel and Palestine have also increased, as the Obama administration has taken to vetoing even more resolutions attempting to stop illegal Israeli settlements. In the process, the Obama administration has also managed to create new tensions with Pakistan, a nuclear-armed state in the region. I've been documenting many incidents that are the source of the Pakistani tension over at the Agent Provocateur Facebook Newswire. Robert Fisk, an acclaimed journalist who has been given unprecedented access to various organizations within the Middle East, including Al-Qaeda, spoke openly about the gaps in understanding between the Middle East and the United States and predicted why Obama's rhetoric about foreign policy was hollow and meaningless. He called this gap between what was promised and what could actually happen more dangerous than George Bush Jr. administration, which made its intentions explicit and well-known. And for all of this, how does the world react? Well, it depends who you ask. Such would be the same of Vladimir Putin. To U.S. propagandists, Putin represents a dictator gone amok, a reversion of progress made when the Soviet Union fell. Well, that's a nice thought, and certainly politically useful to those who are interested in preserving U.S. hegemony, but hey, I'm a pragmatic guy, and let me tell you, it's hard to argue with Putin's results. During Putin's presidencies, real incomes increased by a factor of 2.5, real wages more than tripled, and unemployment and poverty more than halved. During his first presidency, the Russian economy grew for eight straight years, seeing GDP increase by 72%. Foreign investment has boomed for Russia, which has seen all its high-tech industries expand. Now he's being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Tell that to the Ukrainians. Guess who else got nominated and won a Nobel Peace Prize? Barack Osama. I mean Obama. That's right. The man who authorizes drone bombing, bombings against people he claims are suspects, suspects that have never been brought to trial on anything, even if they're American citizens or they simply have expressed certain views. This is a man of peace, according to the Nobel people. As a principle, duplicity is only effective as your ability to get away with it. 
Ask Mussolini how it worked out for him as he hung upside down like a slab of meat in the Piazzale Loretto. George Bush Jr. couldn't get away with selling a Lamborghini to a bum for a hundred bucks. The guy was dumb as a rock, not even in a sort of clueless cardboard cutout way that Reagan was. He was inarticulate and often fumbled elementary political concepts. Barack Obama was a law professor at University of Chicago Law School. He was president of the Harvard Law Review and graduated magna cum laude. Say what you will, but he's not stupid. So you can have your Obama with this city slicking fast talk. Give me that president that had that everyday charm that drew the illiterate masses to Sarah Palin. Give me a president with a stuttering drawl. Give me the president with that pained smile he always forced out. You know what I'm talking about, right? Remember sometimes W would do this strangely uncertain smile where you could almost see the complete confusion in his face? Like the expression of a dog when you fake that you threw a ball and it stands around bewildered? Think about what the world's reaction would be like if Russia's leader was akin to Bush and Ukraine were invaded, or as Bush put it, were smoked out of their homes. In my dreams, a Russian George Bush Jr. drunk on potato vodka compares a Ukrainian invasion to bear hunting. In Hans Christian Andersen's morality tale, The Emperor's New Clothes, a solipsistic emperor is told by his handlers that a special set of clothing is being tailored for him. This outfit was made of an invisible fabric that he is told can only be seen by the hopelessly stupid and those who are unfit for his position. The outfit was never made. Instead, the handlers pretended to see the outfit, of course appealing to his solipsism and saying they were unfit for his position, they mimed putting the invisible outfit on him. This led to an embarrassing situation in which the emperor paraded nude through the streets before his townfolk, though no one out of fear said a word, until a child pointed out that the emperor was in fact wearing nothing at all. If we're going to have an emperor, let us at least don him in his appropriate clothes, so that even the simplest amongst us can point and laugh. Go to facebook.com slash agentprovocateur on 9 cents to see the Agent Provocateur Newswire chocked full of related articles and more of the weird and awful truth. Thank you for tuning in to this Agent Provocateur. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I have a very special interview. It's going to be two gentlemen. First is uh, Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter. How are you? Oh, doing well, Adam. It's great to be on the uh, the show as always. It's been a little while, but uh, it has. good to talk to you again. Great. And uh, the next gentleman here is Reverend Daniel Bird. How are you, my man? Doing great. Appreciate it. Great. Well, 
I'm, I'm actually really excited to have you guys on. Uh, I mean, you've both been on the show before, so we have a little bit of a back and forth here. But you guys have been uh, involved in a project that started, I believe, in 2012, right? It was actually, we made the, uh, the announcement for the project uh, publicly on March 19th. So just about, um, well, let me see. Well, that was, uh, that was March 19th of last year, right? Or has it been two years? Wow. I think it. I think it has been two years. Yeah, actually, March nineteenth uh, is when it was announced in, uh, of twenty twelve. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> That's a long yeah. time. So, how about we tell the good folks listening here what we're talking about? Um, Kevin, do you want to set this up? Well, yeah. Um, this was. Uh, it started a, a little bit before. Uh, actually, it's it's. It was a project that I wanted to work on for for quite some time, and I'm sure a few other people have uh, uh, considered doing something with it as well. But um, the uh, Anton LaVey's book, The Complete Witch, or What to Do When Virtue Fails, uh, subsequently published as The Satanic Witch by Feral House, um, has just such an incredible uh, bibliography in the back. There's a... um, a hundred and uh, how many books is it? A hundred and seventy. Hundred and seventy book bibliography, um, and just some you know, it's just a really wide ranging uh, selection of books that uh, were housed in. Um, I believe it was called the Purple Room in the Black House, um, Levey's personal library, and I think. The, the bibliography itself served, served as a traditional bibliography. In other words, these are books that he uh, referenced when compiling and writing The Complete Witch. But I think it also serves as um, a gateway to, 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 to broader writing to, to um, continue your studies. And, and, you know, as some sort of a uh, uh, complete witch uh, learning course or something to that effect. And... Um, I really wanted to do something with it. I, I've obviously, as a publisher with Underworld Amusements, um, I've looked into uh, uh, some of the titles to see if I could get re-release them. And um, it was in 2000. I actually have a uh, a proof copy uh, from 2007. I have a completely typeset copy of Iwan Block's Odorata Sexualis. Um, and I was planning on releasing it then. I had uh, a discussed with an artist who I I won't name here um, to to do some some original illustrations for the book. And uh, the reason why the book didn't get published is because he never actually came through with any of the art. He ended up flaking out pretty big. And I haven't found anybody else to replace him. But I've also published the collection, uh, what I call Hotcha. Um, and, uh, that comprise, that is, are the first two, uh, books listed in the bibliography because they were, uh, anonymous authors. And those are Johnson Smith and company, uh, booklets. And, uh, that's, that's a lot of fun, but, um, just for my own interest and because I knew it would interest others, uh, I had the idea of, basically setting up a blog to um, 
to expand on the bibliography and find out what some of these books actually are. Um, I mean, with 170 books, um, there's a there's a lot of stuff out there and a, and a lot of weird and and wonderful titles. And right now, my collection is just just a fraction of that. When I uh, first started talking to a couple of people, I spoke with Daniel and uh, Priestess Rice, and uh, they both of them really excited about the project jumped jumped right in and and i've got to admit that um by and large daniel uh daniel bird has been the man behind the project ever since i underworld amusements has had a um unprecedentedly productive year um and what that means is i haven't had uh enough time to dedicate to but because I'm actually publishing books as a book publisher, I haven't uh, had enough time to dedicate this. But but he has done an amazing job. Well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> well, let me ask you: What's the process that goes into this? So, I mean, before we get into you know, I don't know, a, a favorite books or anything like that, or or maybe you know, curious books, why they're even included in this. Um, is there what's the process of your of your putting these books online? Are you, are you just taking snippets of information from the books? Are you trying to reproduce the books online? What's the uh, what's the format here? Well, um, I mean, uh, early on, you know, obviously there was a early on there was a, a bit of a a, a process where uh, Daniel and Kim and and I um, had to work out kind of the. A, a basic template. What information did we want to put online? Some of these books are in the public domain, and we've we've tried to uh, link. But well, I guess the website uh, right now it's it's been at uh, completewitch.blogspot.com, and um, and you can see it's 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 pretty dry uh, what we have up there so far by and large because it's just it's. It's largely just uh, factual information. We'll produce um, a scan of the uh, the cited edition, the cover for the cited edition, list the title, the subtitle, who the publisher was, the city of publication, the year, pages. Um, we scan and or or uh, transcribe any. Uh, Dust jacket, copy, promotional copy on the book, list, create a table of contents on the page. We link to archive.org, Goodreaders, Google Books, Library Thing, uh, Wikipedia, WorldCat, any of these basic services that a lot of people will use. And then we'll list all the editions that we can find um, and the various covers because there's just. I mean, I love I love books. I love book covers. I love seeing variants, and uh, so it's really I mean, it's super nerdy, but really interesting. If um, uh, for somebody else, and really kind of just this obscure niche, great weird books blog is what it turned out to be. Nice. And have have all of the um, listed books been noted on the site as of yet? Well, no. Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, um, I th I'm trying to think. Where, what was the last one I did? I think it was maybe um, a razor. Well, the last a razor for a goat was the last one. Well, the the yeah. first, the, yeah, the first post on the blog was um, just an announcement, and there it is. It was announced on the blog itself on March 8th of 2012. 
So just a little over two years ago. And the second post was a full listing of the uh, select bibliography. And we've been going and we've been posting it and, and posting bibliographic blog entries in order that they're listed in the bibliography itself. Wow. So um, a razor for a goat is, uh, oh gosh, how many books have been put up? Let me see. Um, it's in the R's for Elliot Rose. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, we've still got quite a ways to go. I haven't, um, we haven't actually added anything new in a while, just with other projects, juggling stuff. Um, it's been, uh, I'm hoping to get, you know, the ball rolling again. Let me ask you, Daniel, are you only adding, uh, when, when you are contributing here, and it looks like you've contributed a significant amount, are you only adding um, editions that you personally own or that you can gather information about? Uh, yeah, we're trying to stick it, you know, stick to the order. So there's been some books when um, I just could not track them down, and uh, we cannot find any, hardly any information on. Um, so what we do is we just plug in what we've got and then move on to the next title, basically. Um, yeah. And one yeah. book that was uh, uh, La Forme Humaine, uh, this uh, obscure little French pamphlet really from 1914 and when we first published that one because it was in order um there was really no information at all but later i was able to uh track down a library in boston uh the countway medical library had a copy and so when we were up there visiting family i believe it was uh, last spring um i set up a, an appointment to uh, go look at this book, so that was that was pretty neat. I got some pictures, and then I was able to go back and, you know, plug that information in uh, on the blog. So, yeah, and we're working through. We're actually working through the 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 bibliography in reverse. So we started with uh, Doctor Jacobus X's The Untrodden Fields of Anthropology, <laughs> um, uh, to uh, uh, followed up by Lawrence Wright's book on the toilet. Clean and decent. Um, through there's uh, there's you know so many great fascinating books. Cauldron Cookery. Um, that's one. Uh, Marcelo Truzzi. Daniel, can you you want to talk about? Uh, uh, there are just two really weird books. One is called Soci Sociology in Everyday Life, and it has this incredible like psychedelic, weird typographic cover with some. I don't know, spermy squirts and rounded <laughs> uh, off like psychedelic lettering. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you want to, those are two weird books from one single author. Yeah, they're, they're pretty different <laughs> coming from the same guy. Um, yeah, Cauldron Cookery is just a fun, I mean, it's a cute book, really. There's just all these bizarre recipes, uh, like, uh, everything from stereotypical uh, eye of newt kind of things to uh, just uh, just a random bizarre things. It's, um, and then next you know, next to that, uh, edited by the same author who did um, or who compiled Cauldron Cookery is uh, Sociology and Everyday Life, and uh, that's. It's a collection of different um, essays by different people, 
um, some of them have to do with like a social stance and class. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Irving Goffman, who uh, and it, you know, Satanists who have actually you know read books on Satanism should uh, instantly recognize the name Irving Goffman from a number of other books. I believe that should be cited in the Complete Witch or the uh, various recommended reading lists that uh, have been published. In fact, uh, Irving Goffman's uh, Behavior in Public Places and Stigma and Interaction Ritual are in the Complete Witch Illustrated Bibliography right. Project. But his book, is, or he has an essay in, um, in the uh, Sociology and Everyday Life as well. Um, but yeah, there's there's articles, everything from the implications of tipping um, to uh, coolness in everyday life by Stanford M. Lyman and Marvin B. Scott. I bet, well, that's really fascinating. Really, you talk about just cool. How cool is that? Um, Have you guys? I mean, throughout this process. Um, Exploring these books, uh, putting up the information online uh, that you guys have uh, decided to put up. Have you run across any authors where you just you, you're just so interested, you want to learn a little bit more about them more maybe even than the book itself? Has that yeah, ever struck yeah. you? Um, yeah, uh, I haven't done a lot of digging past that, but there have been a few. Uh, Nicholas Samsteg. Um, wrote this neat book that's in the bibliography called The Uses of Ineptitude yes. or How yes. to, <laughs> to Do Better. <laughs> and he seemed like an interesting guy. Um, I definitely want to look into more of his stuff. Um, there's also books within the bibliography who have bibliographies of their own. And so the rabbit hole just gets deeper and deeper. Oh, <laughs> damn. Pulling back the layers, and there's just all this incredible information out there. That that book, uh, uh, the use of ineptitude. Yeah, that's that's a really really interesting book. I have uh, that's one of the uh, ones that I do have, and um, it's uh, and it's got some you know just uh, chapter titles are pretty fun. Um, and uh, let me see the the plateau on the ninth floor or how not to do want to do better in business. Uh, <laughs> chapter three is this ancient exercise or how not. To, how not to want to do better at sex, um, and you know it's it's yeah, it's not serious highbrow stuff, but it's uh, it, it's it's pretty funny. Um, so, do you? I mean, is this something where you think uh, uh, Anton Levey read all of these and he genuinely thought there were gems, or do you think sometimes just the no, you know, I, the, the absurdity of it was just part well, of the fun. I mean, you know, as with any bibliography, it could very well be that there was, um, you know, a paragraph that that, you know, in a book that he that he uh, drew inspiration for a part of, uh, you know, say the chapter on bitchcraft or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, clearly these were were titles that he had in his um, there as I've I've. A few people who have um, who were familiar with the the bibliography itself and uh, who have spent time with Levey 
uh, I've mentioned, you know, going, you know, being in the Purple Room, the, the library in the Purple Room and seeing many of these titles in it. And that the bibliography itself was just, you know, merely a small representation of his, of his overall library. And then it there, makes, there was oh, a, at least one book. Um, mm. We're kind of wondering if it even exists. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's so obscure. We found absolutely no trace of it anywhere on the internet. Um, What's it? What's it called? Well, it's uh, by Felix Mobius. Maybe uh, Kevin's German <laughs> might be a little better than mine. Zabri. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I can't. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's apparently published in 1936. But uh, I'm thinking it's probably some kind of weird pamphlet. Um. Uh, yeah, we just can't find it. Yeah, we've we've had people um we've had people in uh we've had people in Europe try to look through some of their own uh databases, you know, their their uh their online databases uh, in their native languages to see if they could find some sort of variant of the title itself or or uh whatever. Uh Felix, yeah, Mo Mobius uh, Zalvarei Grauschen published ostensibly published in uh, Leipzig by Kohler in 1936 and we can't find any information about it whatsoever so that's interesting that, that so that might be a, a reference to to something entirely entirely other than a book it would not be I would not put it beyond LaVey to put some sort of uh, inside joke or um, or strange, you know, reference for those who might really get it, you know, yeah, uh, and sneak that into the bibliography. I um, there was actually um, a uh, one of the books that I did a uh, facsimile printing of, and I think it might have been in the one of the Johnson Smith booklets. Um, I actually did a little bit of Photoshop alteration to uh, to create a uh, a hidden message somewhere in there, but I won't reveal more than that. So that was nice. my own little thing. Nothing to change any uh, anything significantly, but just kind of tucked away in one of the books, you know. <laughs> yeah. So for these uh, titles that you to own, have you have you spent a significant amount of time with them and read them? A few. Um, I, I speaking for myself. I let Daniel speak. I, I can't imagine da- I, Daniel <laughs> has has had the time to uh, spend a significant amount of time because he has amassed an an astounding uh, number of books from the bibliography. You're at ninety percent of the bibliography. Yes, correct. That's, and, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> what? How many books? How many? What's the, what's the hard number there, Daniel? Uh, one hundred and fifty-three, I believe. Uh, okay, so wow. he's yes. pretty much has a lifetime reading list there. To, <laughs> to do, if we were to do serious reading there, then that's that's pretty significant. Um, uh, yeah, I've 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 had the time, and obviously, um, I'm sure Daniel, you know, like I, I mean, you know, we're uh, this is this is something of of a unique interest, but also we have many other interests and we're doing studies. Daniel's, um, you know, Daniel's an amazing painter. 
And uh, I mean, it would just I would I would be appalled if if, if I found out that this this kind of interesting side project uh, somehow pulled him away from his uh, from from his artwork uh, in any way, because he's I just, you know, I love a lot of the work that he's done. Um, and uh, his uh, his Baphomet is uh, is uh, his, his giant Baphomets are, are really something to behold okay. if you haven't seen them. <laughs> In person, I uh, um, the first time I saw one of his uh, hand painted uh, Baphomet. What's the um, uh, what's the website for that, Daniel? Pl- please plug that right now. Uh, well, right now I've just got a Facebook page. It's just uh, at the Facebook yeah, page. This, I think it's the COS Baphomet Altarpiece. COS Baphomet Altarpiece. Um, yeah, the the first one. Well, appropriately enough, the first one of those I saw in person was in the new. Black House at uh, uh, Peter Gilmore and Peggy Nadramia's house, and it was really impressive. And I did a short video interviewing Peter Gilmore uh, in the Black House and and one of his uh, altar uh, uh, Baphomet altar pieces is is uh, right in you know in the frame and, and and in the beginning of the short excerpt from that interview. But that's a bit of a digression, but one that, that should be made. Uh, no, it's it, absolutely. Script. I mean, yeah, he's a stunning artist. Uh, and it's not just traditional art, and it's not just the um, uh, painting of the sigil of Baphomet that you do uh, as well, Daniel. But uh, you, you sort of have, you know, anywhere that you can think of, of stretching those artistic skills of yours, it, it seems like you have already. Um and Kevin, with Underworld Amusements, uh, you've done some amazing work bringing back some sort of lost to time titles, or uh, you know, reviving them, uh, sort yeah. of you know, Frankenstein esque of these <laughs> these ancient well, the, tombs. I think one of the first one of the first X or titles from um, from the Complete Witch bibliography that I printed was um, I did a version of. Uh, uh, a booklet version of Man into Wolf, and this was this is quite a number of years ago when I was running a distribution uh, called Den of Iniquity, and I produced a pamphlet version. Actually, Adam Parfrey of Feral House wrote an introduction to it. That ended up being uh, uh, folded into a collection of pieces. What I call and and the book, the volume itself was called the Iron Youth Reader, which is now out of print. But uh, so I've been. You know, I've been on the trail of of trying to repopularize and and you know uh, bring more readers to some of these obscure titles for for most of my adult life and pr- prior to being an adult. Um, Ariel <laughs> Masters, who wrote a book and um, wrote a book in the bibliography called Eros and Evil, he's a really interesting guy and has written. Um, a number of other books, and see, this is the pro- this is the problem right here. And I think Adam, you and I have talked about this before. One of the things that I find so appealing about um, Anton Lavey and and Satanism um, is it's it's a gateway. Whereas Christianity, Islam, Judaism, these are religions of the book, mm-hmm. and and that's book singular. Yep. You know, although obviously. Um, Christians and Muslims and Jews have produced libraries of books of commentaries and, and ordinary Christians, you know, write on all kinds of topics. Um, if you, the Orthodox, the, in, in other words, the people that actually believe their religion, 
<laughs> the Orthodox are the people of the book singular, generally. And then if they read other things, it's commentary on that book. Mm -hmm. But Satanism itself <laughs> explicitly encourages uh, study and not worship. Um, and that can lead to uh, an amazing but often frustrating experience of of to use Daniel's term earlier, rabbit holes, where you just, you find one thing leads to another, which leads to another and another. Um, R.E.L. Masters is a really interesting guy, and Eris and Evil, the book referenced, is the title itself is uh, uh, ostensibly about sexual intercourse between devils and humans and its involvement in... Um, in uh in, you know in, in witchcraft and and devil worship etc and obviously it's uh dealing with some of the more sensationalistic historical accounts um but Ariel uh Ariel Masters has written a number of other uh interesting books that were printed in the 60s and 70s all dealing with um kind of weird uh weird sexual topics like you know like lust murder and and etc but uh, unfortunately last time i checked he was still alive but he was leading um these like white light senior citizen like <laughs> you know sex kind of things and it was just it was it was really unfortunate it was uh, <laughs> That's my end game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's great. Let's see. Uh, but he wrote a number of titles like uh, uh, Sex Driven People. Um, let's see. Sex Crimes in History, which is actually, you know, really interesting. Um, and uh, no. so anyway, so there's, yeah. there's a number of rabbit holes like, uh, <laughs> like that. That's, that's wild. Um, no, I mean... Obviously, I'm speaking with uh, Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter and Reverend Daniel Bird about the Complete Witch Illustrated Bibliography Project, which you can find at completewitch.blogspot.com. And I do encourage every listener here to go check that out. Just sort of browse this list because the list that exists right now is pretty impressive and, and there is uh, still quite a bit here to come. Um, Daniel, you've just recently started, and I don't know if you did it, it had to be been explicitly just for promo purposes, but you put together a little video. Do you want to speak to that really quick? Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, cruise around YouTube some time ago. I had, uh, you know, you come across the occasional video where someone's showing off their um, collection of satanic books. <laughs> and it's usually not really anything that exciting. Here's so, a here's uh, a copy of the Satanic Bible by Anton Levy. Right. Oh great. Thanks. Never seen that before. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I thought, well, while I've got all this stuff, I might as well maybe have a little fun with it. And initially I was just going to do maybe like a pan and scan of the uh spines of the books, sit on a shelf or something. And then I actually scanned all of the Instead, I put that together in a video. But um, uh, Kevin and Peggy and um, a couple other people gave me some really good feedback, saying, you know, maybe spice it up a little bit more. So uh, that's when all of a sudden it spiraled into this huge project. <laughs> uh, it went from just this cute little thing I was going to throw on YouTube to this uh, 
um, you know, we're getting costumes and we're setting up shops for uh, skits and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Um, and and then I started finding stock footage, all this wonderful stock footage I could use. And um, so yeah, it just it, it I had a lot of fun with it, but it took uh, way more time than I was originally going to allot for it. But um, yeah, it yeah, was. Vid- and and I I, it, I decided you know we could go ahead and kind of make it an extension, as well as a uh, promotional thing for the uh, blog, and go ahead and kind of do more of a, a visual um, look at some of the stuff that's in the blog. So you see the cover art, you see a quote, uh, you kind of get a feel for what the book's about. And I just kind of picked books at random. Um, and I actually shot a lot of footage for additional books that I didn't include, but I may uh, for a second one. Um, so, yeah, it's just I decided to keep it random and, and just kind of have some fun with it. So And so far it's gotten a pretty good response. So I was really – it was also my first serious try doing anything like that too. So um, Yeah, making, making videos – Making interesting videos about books, not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> um, really, hey, look, here's here's a book. The most interesting stuff is not visual. It's <laughs> yeah. writing inside of it. Isn't that great? Okay, there's three seconds. Um, and yeah, Daniel did a fun, you know, a fun job. And I actually. I would love to, if I have the, 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 the time and ability, I'd love to at some point uh, uh, meet up with him at his place with his, his library. And I would love to collaborate with him on, on, on some sort of video where maybe we can do something um, uh, a little bit longer where we actually do something like this, where we actually can maybe talk about some of the titles and, yeah, uh, and do something presenting because um, – but yes, Dan, video it will always take a lot longer than uh, <laughs> than you thought. Um, and I haven't I haven't done much video work in the past year because I have been publishing books. It's a pretty terrible tr- it's it's a trade it's a terrible trade off because I've I've published more books in the last year than I have in the last three years. But I've done you know absolutely no video work. I haven't done any. Uh, you know, any podcasts or anything like that. And as a book publisher, it's great that I'm getting books published. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not doing all of this other stuff that actually kind of promotes the book and, and gets the word out there that, that these books are out there. So um, mm. anyway, and, and of course, you know, me, I say that here, me, and, and, and I feel like a jerk because, Adam, you have extended an invitation at any time, which I appreciate, and I have just uh, not been able to take you up on. So, um, one of the things, one of the kind of end goals with the Complete Bi- Witch Bibliography Project is, um, appropriately enough, a book itself. And, um, and we'd like to take, once we've kind of completed the work on the Bibliography Project, um, getting all of this really rather boring raw data together um and they you know collecting collecting it can be a bit quite a bit tedious and, and collecting and arranging it etc mm-hmm. is uh we would like to put some sort of book together and we're trying to figure out how to what kind of information we can put together that would make it a little bit more engaging than just a 
um, a raw collection of data and cover images, although, you know, that certainly has its use. We're probably going to be including some original essays um, uh, from, you know, on why these books may have been important or or what role they may have played in the complete witch bibliography in Satanism as an idea or just, you know, maybe some maybe some interesting bibliographical sketches of some of the more interesting authors who knows so we're that's a long-term project though that would actually be really really cool i think i being able to take a, a satanist have them comment on the book about their speculation but also their experience and how the the book has informed them in in some way i think you know that would add rather than just being a reproduction of your blog for the complete witch, it would you know add some significant value. I think that would be that'd be very interesting. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think I think, but of course, one of the one of the most uh, uh, nerve wracking things um, about I remember g- going into the complete witch bibliography <clears throat> project. Uh, a big gamble that I knew I was playing is if. Um, when I make this announcement, uh, it might make it a lot tougher for me to buy these books at cheaper prices. It's true. <laughs> I don't want it to become too popular until I've gotten a, a few more titles uh, in my own personal library. So I guess that's the double-edged sword. As, uh, you know, can't have too many other people looking for the same titles at the same time and, uh, you know, ra- raise the... Uh, raise the market value on them. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, well, by way of closing out this discussion, is are there any books, uh, could you maybe name uh, a book that you're hunting right now? Uh, both of you. Daniel? Well, I'd love to get my hands on a uh, cited edition of um, uh, Parade of Pleasure. Uh-huh. Uh, right now, there's one on eBay for like $850. Damn! Um, it's not the cited edition. It's the... Um, I believe the seller in their description uh, claims it's the UK edition, but clearly in the photos you see it's the American edition. And it's the UK edition that is the cited one. And I've seen it sell for well over a 1000 So it's going to be a while before I get my hands on that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, also that, that book that I saw in Boston, I, yeah. I tried to uh, you know have them name a price, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I think they're associated with Harvard, so they're not hurting for money, so they're not interested. <laughs> in fact, when I examined it, uh, the room they had it in was in their rare book room, and there was mahogany panels everywhere and oil paintings. So I was like, yeah, these people don't want my money. Nice, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's yeah. a couple like that. And then um, uh, right now I've got my eye on a few more. We're going to put an order in soon, but... Very cool. Well, Kevin? Uh, how about you, Kevin? Obviously, yeah, obviously finding a copy of Zauberei Garauschen would be, uh, would be <laughs> terrific. Or at least finding some sort of reference beyond the ones that, you know, beyond the complete witch would be, would be a nice start. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a, there's a few books in the list and, um, one of the interesting ones, and I know we we need to wrap up, so I'll keep it short. Uh, J. A. Rogers' Sex and Race Volumes One and Volume Two were referenced in the bibliography, and I believe there's a Volume Three of that book. I yeah. think those are still in print, and those 
Uh, you know, every every few years I'll stop in a like a black owned bookstore where they have like great you know conspiracy theory sl- selections and yeah. and um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, Nation of Islam titles or whatever. And those books are always there. I've seen those for years and years in uh, in black owned bookstores, which is which is really interesting. Um, and uh, I. I the one I'm the one I'd like to get is uh um it's, it's uh oh gosh um I want to get straight and crooked thinking which is a great uh book on on just critical thinking logical fallacies etc cetera, etc cetera. but there was there was one that I ordered um it, uh it's sex life, sex and the overweight woman <laughs> and, <laughs> what? Which amusingly is the smallest, tiniest, thinnest book I think. In- <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 my my interest in getting that is is specifically peaked because I actually ordered it and it never arrived. And, uh, so I had a copy. I found you know I found a good looking copy. Uh, uh, got it pretty cheap, and uh, it just it just never appeared. It, it just got lost. In the uh, in the in the grind, <laughs> and so now that's you know it's this my 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 sexy overweight woman book is uh, is is was was a love lost. And, she uh, ran out on you. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's too bad. Um, I, both of you, thank you so much for joining me. This has been an absolute pleasure. I wish I had more time. Uh, as with YouTube being incredibly busy, I am as well. So we're, we are going to have to close this down. Um, again, Kevin, uh, everyone, check out Underworld Amusements. Uh, check out his vast collection of really fantastic uh, novels and, and uh, collections of writings and poems. Uh, he's he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, Reverend uh, Daniel Bird, uh, the um, the Baphomet Altar Project. Uh, do you want to give that URL again one more time? Uh, yeah, you can just email me at baphomet at coffinrust.com, and then uh, we can just chat about what colors you want and all that good stuff. You're, yeah, uh, he will do uh, custom custom baphomet. I've seen a few of his custom baphomet pieces, and they're really they're really spot on. He does. He, they're a lot of fun too. <laughs> I want. I will. I will toot his horn a little bit more than he seems to be willing to do himself. So. <laughs> Well, uh, until next time, gentlemen, and to the audience, definitely check out, once again, completewitch.blogspot.com. Check out what these gentlemen are doing uh, and the other contributors. It is well worth your time. Gentlemen, until next time, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Thank you. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents, and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. And remember, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. 
Keep in mind that the only way that the podcast... Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm tripping over myself. The only way that this podcast is going to continue, the only way you can shock it into existence, is if you're sharing it with someone. Tell your friend, tell your mama, tell your papa. Tell someone about Nine Cents. Thank you for doing it in advance. Let's build this podcast together, people. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, hail! Satan! <laughs>